and welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka, and this is our co-host. Hey, I'm Aaron. How you doing? Today's case sounds like the plot of a horror movie, but it really happened. Being honest, when I first stumbled across it, I expected the story to be a lie conjured up by the husband to explain away a murder. But, unfortunately, nightmares really do come true. Oh no, That's, that does not sound good. Um, yes, yeah, so uh, no spoilers, but I'm pretty sure I saw this exact plot on an episode of Criminal Minds, and I'm not sure if it came out before or after the murder happened. Because um, <laughs> this murder is not that old. It t- took place in 2015, which I think might actually be after the Criminal Minds episode. I meant to look it up and didn't. Wow, so it's an, a murder inspired by Criminal Minds then. Or Criminal Minds... Inspired this murder. Yeah, stole this murder's plotline. wow. Either way, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, for real. Our story takes place in Himmel Hempstead, which is a large town in Hertfordshire, England. With a population of almost 100,000 people, it's quite a bustling area. I'm learning that they have a different use of the word town than we do. Yeah, for real. There's like small town, large town. Apparently a large town can be like a large city. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Since it's only 39 kilometers or 24 miles for our fellow Americans away from London, it's part of the greater London urban area. Nice. London's got a lot of urban sprawl, I guess. I know. I mean... Or more than I... Not as much as Houston, you know, but not Oh my brag. God, I'm sure it has more. It's the freaking London. I mean, urban sprawl is kind of our thing. I mean... We do know. have a lot of urban sprawl. That's true. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to brag, you know, but... Yeah, that's such a weird thing. Like, nobody really wants urban sprawl, so... Based on photos, Himmel Hempstead features a lot of different styles of architecture, from historic-looking Tudor-style buildings to ultra-modern, sleek facades. A lot of homes and buildings fit the styles popular in the 1950s and 60s as the city underwent some revitalization during that time. To me, the area looks super cute on a lot of streets, but I did see a Metro News article entitled, quote, Himmel Hempstead voted ugliest town in the UK. Wow. So there's Strong that. Words. I know. I did see, to be fair, in defense of the people who think it's ugly, there are a lot of really boxy buildings, like townhome strips or like apartments that look like brick boxes. And so, and actually our case takes place in one of these brick box, like townhome strings. So I can kind of see how you would think that's ugly compared to like all the really ornate buildings that you see in England because, like, they have so much awesome historic architecture because it's, like, it's such an old country. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I guess if you have, like, castles and then a big brick box, I can sort of see how you would think that was ugly. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. That does make sense. Okay, so in 2015, Hemel Hempstead was home to 37-year-old Nicola Cross, who was sometimes referred to as Nick or Nicky. A tall, vivacious woman with long blonde hair and an easy smile, Nicola lived on Dunlin Road with her husband of 11 years, Daniel, who also goes by Danny. The couple had two small children, a six-year-old son named Stanley and a three-year-old daughter named Isabella, whom they loved dearly. According to reports, they had a close, happy marriage full of love. On September 14th, 2015, 
Nicola put her children to bed. With her husband Daniel away on business, she settled in for a night home alone. However, it wouldn't stay that way for long. Loud banging sounded at her door, so Nicola went to find out who was there. She found a man standing on her stoop, demanding for her to open the door. Uh-oh, that's not good. Of course she refused, because who honestly would open a door for any anybody late at night that you didn't know, but especially a strange man who's banging on it? Yeah, for all that's a call the cops situation, like uh, right away, right away. Yes, big red flag. <laughs> yeah, huge. And she agreed. Afraid, Nicola dialed the police and reported the strange man. Good. They arrived and found a confused man who seemed to be not all there. The police actually described him in their report as quote unquote distant. They searched him and decided he didn't seem dangerous, so they let him go and left Nicola's home. Uh-oh. Yes. Now, according to the police, and this sort of makes sense, they get there, they see this weird guy, and we will later find out Nicola's not the only person who called the police. He had gone and knocked on a lot of her neighbor's doors as well and was being super suspicious to the whole neighborhood. So they've received multiple calls at this point about this guy. And he lived a few streets over. And I guess, like, knocking on someone's door is not illegal. But at the same time, I don't agree necessarily with that assessment. I feel like because of the way he was doing it, they should have warned him more heartily. Yeah. And probably watched the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, that's threatening behavior. That's that's not something to ignore, you know? Yeah. At least not to me. I don't know. I don't think it is either. I think if nothing else, they should have had an officer patrolling just regular, like up and down the street to make sure that he didn't come back. Yeah, totally. Okay, so initially, though, the man did leave. He went back to his own flat where his roommate, Robert Dizel, noticed his behavior seemed off. For a moment, Dizel considered calling the police to alert them to his roommate's strange behavior. But in the end, he dismissed his intuition and went about his business. Not a good sign, dude. Always go with your gut. Meanwhile, the strange, distant man who'd come to Nicola's door, grabbed a small kitchen knife, and slipped back out into the night. Oh, shit. At about 11.30 p.m., the man arrived back at Nicola's street. Now, he couldn't remember exactly which house belonged to Nicola, and first went to her neighbor's home. The strange man snuck around to the home's rear patio door and broke through it, slipping inside the house. However, the neighbor, a Mr. Shaw, heard everything. And he called out to the man asking, What are you doing? At the sound of Shaw's voice, the intruder fled the house, running into Nicola's yard next door. Wow. Now, Mr. Shaw is alarmed I'm not sure if he was one of the people whose door was knocked on earlier. Chances are he was because he was right next door to Nicola. But at this point, he knows someone's broken into his house. He's concerned. So he rings the police and tells them that this happened and asks them to come out. But at this point, no one knows that the man is still trying to continue with this reign of terror that he started well sure i mean i mean i feel like if you're shaw you're thinking you probably scared him off the police are going to have a hard time finding him 
because he's run off into the night, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. I mean, once you call the cops, it's like, okay, you know, it's it's over. It's going to be dealt with, right? But mm-hmm. not always the case, as I think we're about to find out. Now, in a twist, remember, the, the guy we believe was coming back for Nicola. Right. Ironically, he went to the wrong house, but when he fled the scene, he realizes he's in the yard of the house he wants. Okay. So that's where he is at this moment. Right. That makes sense. Now, let's back up for a moment and go back to when Nicola gets off the phone with the police. She's obviously extremely afraid, right? Right. Yeah. So she's feeling uneasy. She's not so sure that he doesn't mean her harm like the police were. So after the police left her home, she called her husband to tell him about the frightening incident. And as she was explaining what happened... Nicola heard a sound coming from somewhere inside her home. Oh no, it's inside the house. It is inside the house. Since her children were also in the home, she couldn't just let the sound go ignored. She also couldn't try to run away or anything because again, her kids are in there. She can't leave them. Yep, yep. So she told her husband she needed to set the phone down for a moment to go investigate the noise. Moments later, Daniel listened as his world came crashing down. Nicola encountered the intruder inside her home, and he'd entered through a back window, which he smashed with a potted plant from her yard. The two faced off, with Nicola determined to keep the man away from her sleeping children. Get out of my house. What do you want? Nicola screamed. Then she let out a loud shriek. Daniel heard her say, you don't need to do this. In response, a male voice said, I do I do. Nicola shrieked again, and then the line went silent. The intruder stabbed Nicola in the torso a total of ten times. He started the attack with the small kitchen knife he brought with him, but took a second larger knife from the cross kitchen to continue. Because of the extent of her wounds, Nicola quickly faded into unconsciousness. As she died from her wounds, her killer crept into her children's bedrooms and roosted the kids from their beds. Then, he tried to lead them out of the home. Fortunately, he didn't get far. Good. I was worried that the kids were going to get it, too. Yeah, so small blessings. The whole time, though, he is after these kids. So, what ends up happening is, Mr. Shaw had called the police to report his own break-in, and while the police are at Shaw's house investigating... They hear the scuffle and the screaming from Nicola's house, look over, and see the fight happening through a window. So they run to the yard. They can't get in through the front door to help. But they end up encountering the actual killer in her garden trying to leave with one of the children. Jesus. I mean, it's good that they they got there in time to help the kids, but... Like, that's heartbreaking if you're the husband, you know? I know. To know yeah, that he's they were, on the they phone. They literally with, right there. Yeah, he literally is yeah. on the phone with her, too. Like, yeah. he's hearing all of this happen. That's the part that really stood out to me as seeming like like a horror movie or like something yeah. totally fake because it is something that you see in horror movies. You yeah. do, it is the plot of an episode of Criminal Minds. I'm like 100% sure of this, where like a husband has to listen to his, his spouse being attacked. Yeah. Um, I know, though, I've seen it in a couple of horror movies where, like, the person you love is called while you're being attacked, like, you're going to hear me do this. Yeah. And so, for this to have happened in real life, and, like, none of this was, 
Like the husband had absolutely nothing to do with it. He really was just on a business trip and his wife was calling him to, you know, get to like, to let her know, him know how scared she was. It wasn't like he called her or anything. Like it was all just like the worst luck possible. Yeah. Just a total nightmare happening to these people in real life. Yeah, for real. No, I'm, I'm imagining myself in that situation. It's just, it's really, it's really hard to think about. Yeah. I know that he talked a lot. We're going to talk about this later about feeling like he couldn't protect her. Which makes sense, I mean, in that moment. Yeah. And then I think the cops must have felt like that too. I mean, can you imagine investigating a break-in and then you look up hearing screams and there's like a crime occurring next door and you're right there? Yeah, that's that has to suck so bad. So bad. Now, according to the reports, they catch the strange man standing in Nicola's garden, taking one of her children out into the night. There, the police detained him. As they gained entry into the home, they quickly found one of Nicholas' small children who told police, quote, he has hurt my mummy badly, unquote. The Cross children were both uninjured for the most part, as they did have some cuts on their feet from the broken window glass. Authorities attempted to save Nicola, but it was just too late. I mean, she had 10 stab wounds and essentially she bled out on the floor. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising, but man, that's so sad. It is. Inside the home's bathroom, they recovered the murder weapon, a small broken kitchen knife covered in Nicola's blood. Now you're probably wondering, who was this guy who crept into Nicola's home? Who was he? Let's find now, out. I chose to keep his identity a secret for a while because I wanted the focus to really be on Nicola for this episode. And also just because I feel like it captures some of that the awfulness of the of the situation of like not knowing who this person is and you know that they're out there. Yeah, it gives them a, a very shadowy feel, you know, like menacing. Yeah. So this guy is 23-year-old Marcin Porchinski, who worked as a car mechanic. Originally from Poland, Porchinski immigrated to the United Kingdom in 2014, although some reports say it was early 2015. Okay. So, it was not long before the crime occurred, though, because it did occur in 2015. Right, yeah. Although he lived just a few streets away from Nicola and her family on a street called Claymore Avenue, they were strangers to each other and had never met. Yeah. After Nicola's murder, authorities found out that Porchinski had also knocked on a neighbor's door, possibly several neighbors, before he came to her home. And according to the neighbors they interviewed... They heard him mumbling something about kids. Now, authorities, after they arrested him, charged Porchinski with murder, two counts of kidnap, burglary of a neighbor's house, and aggravated burglary, and aggravated burglary involving a weapon of offense. Porchinski faced the St. Albans Crown Court, and according to his defense, he suffers from paranoid schizophrenia and may have been hearing voices prior to the crime. He told the court that the voices said to, quote, free some children or his family in Poland would die, unquote. This is kind of a fuzzy area because they did have doctors testify in this trial that he was schizophrenic. But something that kind of hangs up for me is that he had never been diagnosed before this. None of his family had ever reported symptoms or reported a diagnosis. And he himself didn't know he was sick. So it's unclear, like, how long he would have had symptoms. Yeah. Uh, but his roommate did confirm that he had been acting really, really weird for three weeks prior to the crime. And 
doing things like not going to work, being sitting out in their garden at nighttime in the dark alone, which that part didn't sound that weird to me. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> no, no. But that's that that is surprising though. Like like that I mean, mm-hmm. it, did he just have like what like sudden onset schizophrenia and it Im- immediately went to it's this? It's unclear or, because I mean... some of the reports claim that he later reported having symptoms for like 2 years. Hmm. But it's confusing to me because he wasn't diagnosed. So it's just like, I feel like anytime there's a crime like this, and then they go like all the way full, like, oh yeah, it was just the voices. I always feel kind of suspicious. Um, It's a very convenient excuse unless you have like evidence of, of, you know, that being a real thing, right? Yeah, and we've discussed that a couple of times here. I feel like having evidence leading up to it is so much easier to see how this occurred. And it's a little harder, I think, in these cases where this person kind of pops out and goes, like, straight for the murder. Right, exactly. Okay, in addition to this diagnosis of schizophrenia, Porchinsky also had drugs in his system at the time of the crime. Technicians found traces of cocaine and cannabis in his blood. And according to the court psychiatrist, these drugs did not cause Porchinsky to commit the murder. Now, I personally am not sure how they can be so conclusive about it. I mean, obviously cannabis isn't out here causing murders, but cocaine might. It has happened before. Yeah. And I think that's particularly true if he needed money or was going through withdrawals. I mean, that's a possibility. That's a very good possibility. I just like, I'm not saying that it does have anything to do with it. Obviously, I'm not an expert. I just think they were, like, really quick to just kind of conclude, like, nope, this has nothing to do with it. Yeah, the way it's written makes it sound dismissive. Yeah, I just felt like it's more, it seems like it's more of a gray area. Because if nothing else, it might have, it like, increased the problems with his actual schizophrenia, sure. right? I mean. Yeah. How many studies are there on the, on the effects of cocaine, cannabis, and schizophrenia? I mean, mm-hmm. like, is that, is that a really well well documented combination i mean it I seems like probably not right? i mean i'm sure that people self-medicate with that sometimes i mean because it's totally common for people with mental illnesses yeah. to self-medicate so it's it's possible that they do have some sort of of like research but it just feels like conclusively stating like oh yeah this had nothing to do with it just yeah. felt weird to me no i yeah i agree totally and this is like what really brought up um our mutual hatred of the scale of evil for me. <laughs> for, I, was, I was waiting for you to bring that one up. I've yes, because, it. okay, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, because of a new app, which I will not mention what app it is, but it cl- involves a lot of true crime shows um, and um, a plus sign at the end of it, um, a new <laughs> app that just came out, we um, obviously have access to, and there's like an old show that used to be on Investigation Discovery called most evil most evil most evil and it features the world's stupidest thing and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's um a quote-unquote scientific tool it's a, it's a scientific tool very right. scientific um device that they've created to measure um the level of evil of someone um which is a thing you can do with science that's how that works Yes. <laughs> this is very scientific. But, y'all. like, the part that really made it break down for us that makes Aaron and I hate it, even though we continue to watch this awful <laughs> show, um, <laughs> is that they'll, like, describe what a killer did and then be like, because this killer was a sadistic rapist murderer, they belong at level 16. But because they also enjoyed the murder part, we're going to bump them up to, like, a 19. And it, it doesn't, it's <laughs> like, okay, we'll just put it, like, 
the fact that you are adding mitigating factors to like to sub- change it subjectively is red flagging me. Like, I don't think that you are doing this right. <laughs> no, they're a hundred percent doing yeah, it wrong. It's like so random. And then like yeah. some of the people you can tell the person, the sci- quote unquote scientists, like personal feelings are involved because like Ted Bundy is, I believe like a 17 out of 22. Yeah. And there's like a mom who admittedly was the worst, but she like, Killed two of her kids. And to be fair, she did torture them a little bit. Or a lot, really. She was a monster, okay? But, like, she's a 22 at the peak. And she beat Ted Bundy when, like, literally he was way worse than her. Yeah. I'm not wrong about this. You're not. I mean, like, Ted Bundy is Ted Bundy for a reason. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a reason he has has that level of notoriety in in our society. And it's not because he was a good dude. No. (laughs) And I I feel like what happens is, is the guy who, like, made it... Dr. Michael Stone. Oh, I totally did not memorize his like, name. Like, we should I, not put Dr. Michael Stone on blast. He'll put us on the scale of evil, Aaron. Is that what you want to be? Is that what you want to like, be? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. The only reason I remembered his name and, and that I said it is that it sounds like a character that Michael Scott would make up on The Office. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes, that is that is for sure his scientist character. Yeah, and, like, that's that's why exactly. it keeps sticking into my head because that's what so it sounds smart. like. You are smart. You know? No, like, the whole, the whole show is so ridiculous. And, like, honestly, just... The whole scale of evil business. It's just, it's so, it's so ridiculous. scale of evil. We've started creating our own scales over here that are completely (laughs) subjective and have no, uh, they have no meaning whatsoever. But I feel like that's what this reminded me of whenever they were were so conclusive. Like, oh no, these drugs had nothing to do with it. We're just going to ignore that part of it. (laughs) It's like, it reminded me of the scale of evil. They were just like, well, because uh, the drugs were, you know, not as bad as the schizophrenia, we're just going to put his ranking right here <laughs> on this like yeah. over here yeah it's a very scientific analysis it's a that very they, that scientific they science yeah. that's how science works yeah out. it's how science officially is as a person who studied a soft science myself i can confirm yeah you just put it on a chart and it works <laughs> just put it on a chart as long as you have a chart and it has colors on it i mean, no one's gonna ask questions about your chart no absolutely not today on charts with danielle Look, throwing darts at charts with yes, Daniel. nailed it. And Aaron. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right. The court confined Porchinski to a high-security facility called Rampton Hospital because of his schizophrenia. In court, Porchinski pleaded not guilty to his five charges, but pleaded guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility in December 2016. A judge sentenced him to an indefinite period in a psychiatric hospital. Um, unlike some of our other people that we've seen sent to psychiatric hospitals on the show, um, apparently he may actually get out sooner rather, rather than later based on experts because of the fact that his condition is schizophrenia and it is entirely treatable. It's possible if he took the right medications and the doctors decide he was functioning that they may decide to let him go even if he's not been in there for a while. I mean, if he's actually rehabilitated, then I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how I would feel if I was a husband in that situation. Like, yeah. I feel like I might have some conflicting feelings. But, I mean, honestly, I feel like for myself, I think that if he actually is rehabilitated and he's actually okay, then I think that is in line with my values, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. I think... Part of it is, I don't know if they should... I feel like there should still be some kind of time limit on what's happening. I don't know. It is very difficult to decide an answer on that. Like, I'm thinking of similar cases. 
And my brain automatically goes, it's not that similar. But Andrea Yates was considered to be mentally ill at her time of her, her murders of her kids, which she was. Like, that is not, that's a proven fact at this point that she was mentally ill. And I don't think she's ever getting out, even though she's healthy now, mentally. I think they're going to keep her in there forever. I don't know if that's, like, the right thing or not. Yeah. I just know there are some people that they don't let out. I think it kind of depends on your crime. I feel like depending on how bad it was and, like, what your reaction is to it, like, whether or not you're willing to stay on your medications, there's a lot kind of going on there. Yeah, that, that's all very true. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm going back to, I need to do this case on the show, but there was a local case where I used to live of a man who killed his mom. He was schizophrenic, and he thought, I believe he thought she was the devil, and he was saving her. He was, like, really proud of himself. He killed her and dismembered her. It was disgusting. And he was, I think he was eventually let go not too long ago, but he was in a hospital for a long time, and people were, like, really opposed to him getting out because of how brutal the murder was. Yeah. Even though he had been medicated and was doing, like, fine mentally. Anyway, I just think it's hard to make black and white decisions when really it's kind of a gray area. Like, we definitely, as a person, again, who has mental illness myself, I don't think that people should be stigmatized or should be judged harshly or should be punished for their brains being different. But at the same time, I do think it's unfair for people who are victims to, you know, not be protected, not be safe, or not have justice, things like that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Absolutely. Now, according to The Guardian, Daniel Cross, Nicholas' husband, gave an impact statement in court. And they quoted him in part as saying, quote, I see no future happiness. I see no end to this trauma until my own life comes to an end, unquote. And when Marcin Perchinsky killed Nick, he killed one person but destroyed numerous lives. Daniel also said that he can't get the phone call out of his head and said in a statement, quote, I was on the phone before, during, and after. That phone call plays over and over in my head along with Nick's screams and her pleading for her life. I will never forgive myself for not being there to protect her. I am totally and utterly heartbroken. That's so sad. After Nicola's murder, police faced a lot of scrutiny because she called for help before the crime and they were unable to stop it. The Independent Police Complaints Commission investigated these complaints, but surprise, they found the officers did nothing wrong and followed all the rules. Um, now, during the investigations, mind you, they found that the other neighbors had called to report Prochensky. And so, to me, I, I know they can't just arrest some guy for being weird. But I just felt like, personally, it sounded like maybe he was disturbing the peace. Like, does the UK not have a disturbing the peace law? Or does it count as, like, trespassing? I mean, he's in people's yards. Yeah. And even if they couldn't arrest him, I still think they should have been doing patrols. I mean, I know that I've lived in a situation where I was being stalked and the police were terrible overall. Like, most of the police sucked. But there were a couple of times when the stalker tried to come to our house and people spotted him. And then the police did do drive-bys as, like, a deterrent to make sure that, you know, he knew that he wasn't, that he might get caught if he tried to come back. Right, yeah, and that, that would be a good thing. And I feel like that's definitely what they should have done here, is if they would have just been doing some sort of drive-by situation, I think it would have been a lot safer. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, it's it's easy to 
to look back in hindsight, but I think what you're talking about is an mm-hmm. easy kind of easy common sense thing that could have been in place that probably should have been in place at that time even, you know, that could have prevented this from happening. Yeah, I think the part that really just stands out to me that makes this so scary, like that's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to do this case is because it is incredibly a scary situation, is that she did everything right and still got murdered. Like she was cautious. She was watching. She called the police. She had her house, you know, was locked up. Like there was there was nothing else she could have really done to, to keep herself safe and still ended up getting murdered. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually. I, I mean, I guess it just goes to show that sometimes you can be cautious and sometimes it still doesn't matter, mm-hmm. I guess. Now, this IPCC report did agree with Nicholas' husband, Daniel, that the officer should have notified her that they released Porchinsky instead of detaining him because this part sort of gets overlooked in the story, but she didn't know what happened after she called the police. Like, they didn't come back and tell her or call her and say, like, just to let you know, ma'am, we released him. In her mind, she called him, they showed up, the man was gone. She just sort of, like, thought maybe they arrested him. So it wasn't clear to her that he was still out there. And that was one thing that the IPCC agreed the cops should have done. But they also decided that the police weren't held responsible for anything, like, bad because of it. Yeah. That seems reasonable. About two years after the crime, Nicola's husband, Daniel, met a mental health professional named Alex Wells. He credits her with helping him and his children with their recovery after Nicola's death. They announced their engagement in 2018 and married in September 2019. Daniel also co-founded a support space for grieving men called Strong Men, and he says after the murder that he suffered from anxiety depression, and PTSD, which included flashbacks of hearing the screams on that phone call. And additionally, he was suffering physical pain from his grief, and he wanted to help other men. So this whole experience inspired him to create strong men, um, to help other men cope with other losses that they might experience, since so many people who are grieving go through these things, and it's, like, proven to be harder for, like, men to express themselves and, like, to deal with that grief. Yeah. And so he provides a safe space for that to happen. That's really good. That, that's that's mm-hmm. a really nice thing. And then he's also keeping Nicola's memory alive with a nonprofit called Nikki's Wishes, which helps grieving families enjoy days out, which I thought was nice. That is nice. Apparently, Daniel Cross also did a UK reality show that seems like an extreme dude survivor. Um, it was really weird for me. It's called SAS colon who dares wins that is a fantastic name yeah and it's got big 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 i'm a man energy i'm a man not to be a hater (laughs) that was just my impression they're like it's got like military vibes and they're like outside and they're being big men tough guys tm Yes, not Trademark. to be making fun of tough guys. It's just like, that was what <laughs> stood out to me. I was like, okay, so it's like a bunch of like athletically looking dudes that are like, going to compete in in this, I guess, desert or like, I guess, physical strength stuff. <laughs> like, are they running? Are they carrying items? I don't know. Like, we don't have that show here. Like, um, are they climbing mountains vigorously? I was just like confused about what it was and... 
<laughs> a little bit like, wow, what a weird choice. Okay. Like, I'm not trying to judge you guys, but... That's a very interesting choice. Yeah, we watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance, so we can't really judge anybody. No. Um, I have an active fantasy about being on 90 Day Fiance. Not with a new fiance. I, I know, I know. Yeah, I have a plan. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so back to, to the show. Um, that wraps up our story for today. Um, it's definitely a tragic tale, and I think a common nightmare come true in real life. Um, I think that it's extremely scary. Um, but I am actually inspired by the strength of Nicola's husband and family in recovering from this incredible hardship because I feel like they have done a terrific job in, like, making something good ha- happen. Like, I don't want to say positive because anytime someone's been murdered, there's, it's just not a positive situation. But to make still make good things come about for others is still, like, something that really inspired me. If you enjoy listening to Bad Axe, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. We also have a website that's ca- that's called badaxpod.com. It's a super fun website. Um, there's lots of cool, sad, scary photos that I loved that you will enjoy. Um, so go there. It's the and- best website on the internet. Is it? It is. Like, I want to promote us, but I'm also, I'm trying to be realistic to these people. All right, look, Google.com maybe is number one, and then, like, BadX.com, number two. All right, I'm not going to put you in charge of ads, because (laughs) Aaron gets a little bit excited. Also, please follow us on social media, at BadXPod, and if you want even more BadX, we have a Patreon with exclusive content, and the handle there is, you guessed it, BadXPod. As always, thank you so much for listening. We love you. We think that that you are a beautiful, shining ball of joy. Um, And we're happy to have you in our lives. Um, And until next time, bye-bye. Bye.